Welcome everybody to the show. Today, we're going to find out how we're going to burn the house down with the Stone Cold Steve Austin Broken Skull Shanshans. Let's do it. Welcome everybody to Tap Out Talk. I am your host, Brian, and here we are going to go over another episode of the much-famed Steve Austin, The Broken Skull Sessions, and today we're going to cover episode three, The Big Red Machine Kane, also known as Glenn Jacobs. We're going to cover all the highlights and the delights. Remember how this works. This is the podcast of the podcast. So if you don't want to watch an hour and a half of the full content on the WWE Network, that's perfectly fine because you can come here and get, like I said, the highlights and the delights. Let's go ahead and let's cover the material. Well, we start off with our opening as usual. Uh, Austin welcomes Glenn Jacobs to the Broken Skull Sessions, also known as Kane, the big red machine from the WWE performing world, uh, for being one of the baddest men he's ever wrestled. Also, one of the nicest guys on the planet. And as I um, go ahead and continue on here with our podcast, I'm going to refer to him just as Kane. Uh, there's a lot during this podcast where Austin will bounce back and forth between his name and then also Kane. So we're just going to go with Kane from here on out. So they immediately start talking politics. And just as they're doing that, uh, they open the podcast and they really plug um, Mayor Kane, which is Kane's new autobiography that Austin says the book teaches life lessons about living the American dream. Kane says the American dream is being able to make a life for yourself and talks about how he played football and injured his knee. And he thought he had a mindset for pro wrestling and it gave him a life in which he could only dream of. So it prefaces a little bit about the book. Um, I have heard from other people that have read this book that it was a uh, good, fun read. You get a little bit of wrestling and you get a little bit of politics. And it is amazing that, you know, uh, Glenn Jacobs, a.k.a. Kane here, was able to, you know, be Kane and also have a post-wrestling um, life and actually have his hands in quite a bit of things other than movies. So um, I do think that was pretty impressive, and I, you know, will probably be reading this myself, you know, but just as Austin says in the podcast, you know, enough with the uh, plugging of the book, let's get into a little bit of the history of Kane. So we start off, um, they talk about Kane getting into wrestling overall. And uh, they talk about how Kane was living in St. Louis, um, being a pro wrestling fan growing up. And it was a hotbed for wrestling in the territory days. He would watch all the local stuff. And when his family got cable, he was able to watch the NWA and the WWF. Uh, Kane then kind of jumps to uh, Austin, then jumps into Kane about blowing out his knee and deciding to get into wrestling, Kane talks about his first major show he ever saw uh, was in the WWF Checker Dome. It was when Hawk Hogan was at his peak, and his entrance blew the roof off the place. And um, he had never seen anything like that and knew that it was what he wanted to do since the day he was born. And, you know, I think that kind of ties into a lot of us as fans. You know, we watch it as kids, and we get hooked. And then a lot of these guys are fans at heart that go on to live their dream. So... He uh, found a local group to train him, and it was in this ring uh, that was actually in a hayloft in a barn. He trained for a few months, and 
then went to Nashville where he learned um, quite a bit from Jerry Jarrett in the USWA. But what, so um, as he kind of went there, you know, he started out in the industry. Uh, you can see here he was uh, known as the Christmas Creature, right? It is uh, just kind of a rough gimmick. His arms were like wrapped like candy canes and, uh, and tights. And then he had tinsel wrapped all over his body and garland. And, you know, um, you do what you got to do to get under the hood and get in the business, right? And thank God nobody recognizes you until we have sessions like this. Um, so yeah, as he went over the, you know, the ASWA, he had quite a few, or excuse me, USWA, he had a, quite a few matches and, um, you know, he, back and forth, but he was still, he was a big man, but he was very green. Right. And, um, when he talks about getting into wrestling, he talks about the Malenko's giving him a lot of credit and he credits them for building him back up and putting him in front of the fans and learning the psychology of the ring. So, you know, you might remember, uh, some of them as in Dean Malenko from the WCW days, but the Malenko's really taught Kane how to, you know, work the industry and they had to kind of unlearn some of those bad habits that were taught, you know, when he was, uh, so to speak, born in a barn, right? So um, from there, they actually jump into uh, what was known as the WWC in Puerto Rico. And we get some footage of Kane working down there, which is pretty sweet. Um, on the podcast, and Kane talks about Dutch Mantel uh, being the champion and having a stable of heels called La Familia, and so, um, you know, Dutch Mantel, one of the, you know, you might know him as a Zeb Coulter in the WWE days, but, uh, you know, we the people, but um, he was a very good uh, manager on the indie scene, and, you know, he got a little bit of time to shine in WWE. Um, so he talks about a story of how Mantel split his head above his eye falling on the corner of a bleacher and the heat for the whole segment was so crazy that a SWAT team actually had to be shown up and uh, Kane calls it a really hairy night. So um, Austin says that, you know, this is what you call money drawing heat. And then from there, uh, Kane went on to become known as Unabomb. Okay. So that was like his, you know, next big man gimmick um, was Unabomb and uh, Kane says that Cornette just kind of thought the name was kind of cool. And so they talked about uh, Taker, who came over to Cornette's territory and um, was facing the Unabomb or Unabomber in Smoky Mountain Wrestling. And of course, we have footage of that as well that gets shown on the podcast. Uh, Taker wins with the tombstone to pop the crowd. You know, so this was just a Taker really just a really good match. And um, Austin agrees. And then he calls, you know, and says, Kane says that even back then the taker was always really good to him and they always got along really well. So, um, I think this was like the prequel, uh, Unabomber versus the undertaker in kind of a house show in smoky mountain. And I think this was a way for uh, WWE to scout some big talent cause they knew they had something planned. Well, little did we know that plan was going to eventually lead to meeting Vince McMahon. And it seems like on these Austin podcasts, we always get a little session of what it's like to meet Vince McMahon. And you guys have heard the stories before, right? It, there, there's always a big deal to meet Vince, but it's always just kind of an odd interaction. And Vince has this way of coming up with characters that some guys can make work and some guys can't. And some are good and some are not. Kane finally gets a phone call from the WWE. And he is then given Dr. Isaac Yankum, DDS. And Kane says that the meeting uh, actually was with Vince and J.J. Dillon, who was still head of talent relations at the time. And um, 
you know, the idea that they wanted to go with was Isaac Yankum, a dentist with rotten teeth. And you guys may remember they actually brought him in. Um, you know, Vince basically loved the idea, right? Vince told him uh, he always had a great idea for a wrestling dentist and he was happy to get the call. But at the same time, he was very uneasy about doing this. Um, he asked Cornette and Jim told him that they, being the WWF, would figure it out. And he says the gimmick took a ton of wind out of his sails. Um, Kane actually says that he had heard that the idea was originally Bobby Heenan's and Vince wanted to do it for a long time. And Austin says he remembers watching it and he actually just hated the gimmick, right? Um, you guys might remember uh, Dr. Isaac Yankum was actually brought in during a Bret Hart-Jerry Lawler feud. Right, And then the idea was they led to a King of the Ring, a Kiss, kiss My Foot match in which Jerry Lawler was training in, um, in his horse stables barefooted, you know, walking around in horse manure. And then the idea is he would make Bret Hart kit, uh, kiss his horse foot or his horse manured foot. And so then what happened was in that match, um, of course, Bret Hart won and he made the King actually kiss his own foot and shoved his foot in his mouth. Well, then the story goes on and the tale goes that Jerry Lawler could not get that taste out of his mouth and he had to go to his dentist. And then that uh, Jerry Lawler's dentist was Isaac Yankum DDS. And he was so mad that he wanted to get revenge on Bret Hart, which that, and then leads in Glenn Jacobs first gimmick here in the WWF. So um, I bet that was a little bit trying. And, you know, I remember seeing him and I, you know, was thinking that, you know, he had rotted teeth and it was like, Oh boy. But um, you know, you definitely see, uh, he had some potential, but you could just you couldn't get past the gimmick, right? Uh, before we get to the next gimmick, though, they jumped to uh, the Kuwait trip. And this is where Vader got in trouble for grabbing a talk show host who asked him if wrestling was fake. And Kane says that Leon was working with Taker, Leon being Vader. And when he got in trouble, they needed someone else to work with him. So they brought up using Glenn under a hood. And Vince liked the idea, but he felt like they could tell a longer story and not just blow it off on a one night only. So um, they kind of talked a little bit about that and how he kind of got a little chance to work under a hood against um, Taker, you know, when Vader got trouble and eventually, you know, kicked out of the WWE for good. Um, which then we get into a little bit of his next chance because as the Isaac Yankum wasn't working too well and they just didn't know what to do with him. Um, they jump to the fake diesel, you know, uh, gimmick and Austin says, you know, um, it, it was what it was, but Kane says it was another step in the right direction. Uh, he was committed to the role and he said it, you know, it did help his confidence, get him, get him, get his confidence back. But he says, and it kept him in the game as, you know, it showed Vince that he would work hard and try. Um, they laugh then together they laugh that if a guy was willing to be Isaac Yankum and then a fake diesel, um, he's probably a keeper. So they, they talk about how some guys come in with great characters and they're given a rocket push to the moon, but they don't work really hard and aren't professionals and they're gone in months. Right. And in this case, you know, Glenn Jacobs, uh, can who would become Kane, you know, survive these terrible gimmicks. And sometimes when you're just willing to, you know, kind of work through the, those tough conditions, it shows you're the legit guy. And, um, so I remember this angle actually myself, and I remember I was um, you had Kevin Nash, um, you know, which was Diesel, and then uh, Scott Hall, which was Razor Ramon, left WWE for WCW, and then they advertised the next week on Raw that Diesel and 
Razor Ramon would still be on Raw. And then um, the fans got a little nice swerve where it was a fake Diesel and a fake um, Razor Ramon since they owned the rights to those characters. And it really was terrible. They just didn't, you know, they didn't pull it off well. But it did hook me to watch for one week, and then I kind of felt very taken. So let's go ahead, and we're going to get into, you know, his most successful character. And we're going to talk about the origins of the Big Red Machine Kane. Uh, this is where, you know, Kane really accrued and uh, his character. I mean, this is where it really took off. You know, Austin wants to talk about the origin of Kane. And it was Bruce and Cornette who pitched the idea to him. And it played out over several months. Kane went to New York for a TV taping. And he thought he was going to be like a Michael Myers. But it's shown drawing. He was shown drawings of what it looks like. Kind of like a superhero, which, you know, they kind of show on the podcast at this point. And then all the stuff is, you know, looks pretty awesome. But, you know, and I think the biggest thing was that you had the Kane attire and Kane originally had a cape, you know, that he wore. And so I think that's kind of what gave him the superhero look. And he was kind of thinking, oh, no, this is going to be a bad gimmick again. Right. Um, and then he's told that if he wants you know, to pitch something else to Vince, he can call Vince. Uh, he pitches his idea for the character, but Vince tells him they have done things like that in the past. And the idea is that Kane is dressing like a superhero to overcome his inadequacies. And in Vince's mind, Kane was a cool character and not an evil one. It was J.R., good old Jim Ross, who came up with the idea uh, for a one eye to be different. And it got it from uh, actually from Marilyn Manson, who was a popular rocker in those days, right? who had both eyes done like that. So Austin then, you know, when you kind of talk about the eyes and the mask, Austin uh, goes into not just the eyes, but the mask and says they had a hard time finding people to make them. The wardrobe department had to get them made um, from an S&M place until they could make their own. Um, Kane says the problem with the mask was that it was leather and it would lose its shape quite a bit. So uh, he then says the mask would last about four to five months, and sometimes they would have, you know, just one for TV. And then Kane says he would spend 30 minutes after the match just trying to get the tangles out of his hair. So that was his, actually, that was his long hair back then before he had to start shaving, you know, his head, in which the hair was just kind of built into the mask at that point. Austin wanted to know how it was working behind the mask. Um, since, you know, Austin never had to do anything like that. And Kane says he over-exaggerated his facials a lot and learned body language. Um, he definitely used body language to his advantage. He learned the head tilt from, um, actually from his St. Bernard growing up. It was just kind of a understanding, a beast understanding type thing. And, you know, that's awesome. Bruce told, you know, him that he got more out of that head tilt in, in 20 minutes than a 20 minute promo that could have occurred. So, you know, that was definitely a way of Kane kind of coming about himself in the mask with the character and really building it up. Austin then talks about, you know, working, you know, with the character. And, you know, when he was stunning Steve, that was just a name that he was trying to be, you know, basically Ric Flair, right? Um, when he became Stone Cold, that was a different character that he had to become that character. So Kane says the same happened to him and says that he had a template to work with um, from as he had to, you know, mimic the Undertaker somewhat since he was going to be his brother. 
And soon uh, he did things that became natural to him and realized that it was him getting into the Kane character. So, and then that kind of leads us into, you know, some of the origins that happened. And we finally debuted Kane after all this planning. We talk about um, the debut and they, you know, they go into what happened at uh, WWE in your house, bad blood. Right. And this was the site in uh, St. Louis and it was the first ever Hell in the Cell match in the entire WWE where it was Shawn Michaels versus The Undertaker for the title. And it was a you know, WWE classic. And um, he tells the story when he heard uh, before on an untold episode where he nearly uh, missed the show because his friend's car broke down on the way to the show. And uh, we now you know, get footage from uh, the debut of Kane. And it says the first time he heard the music was when it played right before he debuted. So this was one of his favorite versions of the character. And he puts over Earl or Earl Ebner for, you know, taking a great bump as the referee, but also puts over Taker's uh, facial recognitions, helping the character get over as well. Austin then talks about the quiet um, from the crowd. And that is a great quiet as it's because the crowd was in shock instead of being bored. So that's the best kind of quiet you can get. They were in awe. Um, and they wanted to see what was going on. So they talk a little bit about, you know, the communication that he had with Taker. And, um, you know, Taker was always on, you know, and with him more aggressive. And then he went back to where, you know, he was Isaac Yankum again. And it was back then when he realized he had a conversation with him that made him realize uh, he was there for a reason. They really wanted someone to work with Mark. Um, they wanted somebody to work with The Undertaker. And Kane talks about how Kane setting off the pyro by lowering his arms was the Taker's idea and that he was supposed to do everything opposite of the Taker. So, you know, the idea is you had these two brothers of destruction, so to speak, right? Undertaker and Kane. And you had this great backstory with their manager, Paul Bear. And he, Kane debuted, ripped off the cage. And Undertaker refused to fight his brother, but his brother wanted revenge. And then um, with Kane, you know, being able to control fire with his arms, that led into a really one a legend and an iconic series of matches between these two brothers. And those matches were the Inferno match. That was one of the biggest matches and the first time ever in the WWE. Um, Austin brings up the Inferno match and they start discussing that. The Inferno match, um, he and he asked if he if anything got hairy. Kane says that it was safe as can be, and they were supposed to rehearse it the night before. Uh, they had a limo that was to take them to Fayetteville, but the limo driver drove two hours in the wrong way. Um, it was for a house show, and Kane was advertised, so he got there and did 30 seconds with Vader. Um, then back in the limo um, for the Inferno match rehearsal. The rehearsal didn't happen as since they canceled it. Um, and then both men uh, with the stunt people who were kind of amazed that they were doing it in real time did a burn test on Kane's arm. Uh, Kane said that the match was visually spectacular, but they couldn't uh, do any kind of false finishes because it was too hot near the flames. So Kane says he did, you know, burn himself on the finish as he was selling the arm. Uh, that caught fire and actually swung the other arm back um, and hit uh, apparatus, basically. He hit that and then what was basically touching a hot stove. And so we have a video of that was shown as well. And, you know, that had to suck because uh, definitely you're burning, you're playing with fire, you're going to get burned, right? So 
but their match, um, you know, they definitely, I remember that match. They got actually fire surrounding the ropes in the ring, right? And so, um, and the, the idea is the first person to set your opponent on fire, you know, is the one that's going to win this match, right? So, and that's exactly what happened is Kane's arm got caught on fire and the Undertaker won. From here, they jumped back a little bit to WrestleMania 14, and uh, where we had Undertaker versus Kane for the first you know, encounter. And Austin mentions that in the same night, he won the WWF title, where he wasn't sure if Sean was going to make it to the ring. Kane talks about marking out over the Taker's Druid entrance and with the torches. And Paul Bear told him to calm down um, as he was going to, you know, have a heart attack. So Austin, you know, calls it fantastic match. And then um, they knocked out and basically knocked it out of the park, in his opinion. Austin then relates the story to where he had all of everything that he had planned to do with the Taker. Um, when he made his entrance with all the smoke, he was so caught up that he forgot everything. Kane says uh, it is intimidating and says it's most thought that the match at Mania was the last of Kane. And uh, he talks about kicking out of two tom uh, tombstone pile drivers and at the same time. And then when Hogan was only able to do it once. So he says uh, he lost the match, but Taker made him by letting him kick out of the finisher twice and letting him lay him down after the match. So Kane definitely um, talks about his relationship with Mark Calloway, the undertaker and how he always, you know, saw something in him. He was the guy that pushed everything and is the reason that Kane lasted so long. You know, he gave him so many chances to really just want to work with him, even from the pre WWE days. So, there were some uh, times when he doubted if he wanted to do wrestling, but he went to Taker for advice, and he talked about how much, you know, it meant to see Taker come out to help, you know, especially when he was on the campaign trail. Um, he was told by Vince before that Mark worries more about Kane than Kane does himself, which, you know, that just goes to really show the uh, relationship between these two guys and a true friendship. So they've done a lot of business together. Speaking about business and business picking up uh, after Austin won the title at King Ring, we did get some more unique Kane type matches and we got a first blood match. So Austin then wants to go there. And um, now we talk about the Kane Austin feud from Austin, Texas and on Raw where Austin had uh, blood dropped on him. Austin calls it one of his favorite angles he ever shot. Kane talks about how their angle had threads um, with Taker and Foley all intertwined in this whole angle. And Austin was wearing um, a white t-shirt, which showed off the blood even better. And then at that point, uh, that leads to the first blood match um, at Hell in a Cell in Pittsburgh. Um, before we get there, though, Austin brings up the fact that the show in Houston, Texas, um, and his parents were there to see him. He asked Kane if his parents ever attended a show, and Kane says, well, his mom took a sign that read, I raised Kane. Um, they get a good laugh out of that. And then after the show in Houston, Austin started shaking and was taken to the hospital where he stayed for three days with a staph infection in his elbow. Uh, he told them that he needed to leave as he had a match with Kane coming up. So they had to that go on against them. Plus, they had to follow the Taker uh, Mankind Hell in a Cell match. Um, Austin brings up, you know, having to follow that match 
And um, Kane, you know, definitely says that he still got hot at Mick. Um, he won his first world title that night, and nobody remembers. Um, if you remember, like, Kane did win the title that evening. But, yeah, nobody remembers because of the Mick Foley-Undertaker match. And the Hell in the Cell, that was the most iconic, right? Um, so, breaking off the roof, he brings up the fact that Mick uh, was part of the finish. And as their match was happening, you know, Vince told Kane if Mick couldn't go, that he would need to come up with a finish. And so Kane was stunned that he had no idea what to do. And so um, he says that, you know, the most relieved person when he saw Mick coming down the aisle was him. Um, Austin says that, you know, they worked their asses off in that match. And as it was a brawl, they showed footage from the match and Kane and Austin talked it over. Um, we get Mick doing his limp in. And then Austin could only think uh, that Mick was coming through um, as one of the toughest guys in the business. Taker limps down as well. And, you know, here we had a broken, he, we heard he had a broken ankle. Kane mentions it happened when they were at Raw doing a pre-tape with Taker chasing Paul Bear and it broke when he kicked a TV. So the finish sees Taker blasting Austin in the head with a chair, splitting him wide open and bam, that's it. And Kane is the new WWF champion. And Austin says uh, he isn't a mark for belts, but being the world champion is being the world champion. And Kane remembers back at the hotel room when he had uh, twin beds. So he gave the belt uh, one of the beds for the night. And the next night they're in Cleveland and they run a rematch. And because of Austin's beef with the taker caused him to bleed and not Kane. So they talk a little more about how Kane wanted to prove, you know, that he was better than the undertaker. And the only reason that, you know, he had the belt was because of the taker. So, um, he needed to show that, you know, he could beat Austin. And again, he had to get his point across without saying a word. So, you know, that made it a little tough for his character, right? Which, you know, Paul Bear was able to help him with. So at this point, then we get footage, um, from the match of Austin and he tells the taker and everyone that says yes. Um, and it does when he basically, you know, gets hit with steps. Uh, Paul Bear hits Austin with a shoe. And Austin laughs and how heavy he is. And when guys try to, you know, get him up for moves. Um, Austin hits the stunner and the crowd reactions is crazy. And as he wins back the WWF title... Austin says he didn't have a ton of energy, and as he was still getting over being in the hospital, Kane says that losing the title to Austin was a bigger deal to him than winning the title. He mentions um, that they booked themselves into a corner here at this point. Everyone figured Austin was winning at King of the Ring. Well, they all figured out how Kane was, and you know, going to get out of setting himself on fire, and then the rematch and had crazy energy as well, and all the fans wanted to see. And so Austin, you know, did win his title back, but uh, Kane mentions that um, that was also the start of the Brothers of Destruction, where Kane and the Undertaker joined forces for once. So that's kind of where we get into a little bit with the first blood. And so then the blood Brothers of Destruction uh, started seeing Kane and the Undertaker as allies at this point, um, which then led on to Kane kind of, you know, having some tag team you know, matches for a little bit of the era in the Attitude Era. 
So Austin laughs about them being booked as heels. Um, but the visual of the two monsters destroying people made them cool. Kane talks about how Taker and his character had uh, mythology about them. And the people uh, always wanted to see them fight and figured it would always happen. They discussed uh, tag wrestling then at this point, And Austin says that he liked tagging with Triple H. Um, but he's a singles guy. And Kane says he gives the same answer uh, Malenko did. It depends on your partner. He likes the different dynamic in tag wrestling, but mentions he hates triple threat matches and such, but loves tag team wrestling. So Austin hates that you're so dependent on someone else. And if someone happens to something happens to them, you know, um, you're kind of stuck in the middle there. So Austin brings up that he was managed by Percy Pringle, which was the great late, great Paul bear. Um, and, you know, Kane says that Paul was his manager and when he didn't have to be, you know, all Paul wanted Kane to focus on was the matches. So he would take care of the plane tickets, the hotels, etc. And the only time that really wasn't um, was in San Diego with a red Cadillac, Kane would wear a ski mask so fans wouldn't recognize him. And on this loop, you know, Paul got them a red Cadillac and as they were pulling into the arena, Paul rolls down the window and screams, It's a miracle. Kane can drive. Kane can drive. And the fans swarmed the car. It was pretty awesome. So, um, you know, with him in the mask, and he always had to wear that mask to portray the character. And then after so many years and so much success in this business, you got to always reinvent yourself. And this is where Kane found a way to reinvent himself by getting rid of his beloved mask. And the way they did that, um, as you can see, I mean, there was the mask reveal. And the idea was he was supposed to be burned um, with underneath his mask. So WWE had to kind of figure a way to get him to get rid of the mask without, you know, getting rid of the storyline. So back to the discussion of the mask and the decision to get rid of it. Kane thought um, he had gone as far as he could with the mask and he wanted to reinvent himself. So that was his idea. He also wanted the chance to show off his face and show a new layer to himself. Vince was behind the whole idea while others didn't want to fix what wasn't broken. But he was willing to take the risk and it happened at MSG footage from the show that where Kane shows his face and then choke slams RVD. Kane um, mentions he did feel naked and really weird without the mask. Austin talks about seeing the rage and the pain in Kane's face, which he'd been practicing under the mask for all those years. Um, and when the mask was gone, he made it, um, he felt it made Kane look scarier when he lost the mask. So Kane agrees and says that, you know, losing the mask um, showed who he Kane really could be and took away the superhero look that he had going on. The only thing that made him nervous was losing all of his hair or losing all of his long hair. Um, and that really was because they were supposed to shave him bald, but Bruce told them to stop halfway through uh, and got Vince. They loved the look of the half shaved head. And after just a day, Kane told them he had to shave the whole thing, and they agreed. So uh, they did this half-shaved head thing, and I think they were trying to go for, like, he was burned and scarred, so you know, his hair didn't grow all the way. Austin, um, you know, then says that he had a kind of a bone to pick with him. Um, 
so one of the things that he kind of you know chatted about was his good old buddy jr um and he talks about when kane actually uh got into jr's face and set jr on fire right uh we get a segment where austin asked kane how it felt and he, he asks him you know the chance to let loose with the character he said he was able to delve into the mind of the character and um, he says he could focus on the character and um, the Red Dragon from Hannibal Lecter series um, thing was Kane never had any scars, but he wore the mask because he mentally thought he did. And I thought that was always a cool storyline. Like he thought mentally he was burned, so he wore a mask to make sure that nobody could see his scars, but they were only the ones that he could see. Um, so, yeah, and then that preceded him to you know, kind of get into JR and light JR on fire and give him some scars. So they discussed the promos and Kane says it was good internalization and that they had to do some JR segments a few times and it was written out for him. And JR was happy, um, wasn't happy about the situation. And they had a great photo of JR flipping off whoever had the camera. Um, Kane says that there was a can of gasoline there and it's just the WWE. So you, you know, you had to do something was going to be happening there. So, and at that point, you know, that's kind of when Kane just went on a rampage again and kind of reinvented himself as the monster. And then we get to a point in his career uh, that they want to talk about next, where he had to reinvent himself and be a little more comedic. And that started with Team Hell No. So this all began as a classic, you know, image of Taker, Shawn Michaels, and Triple H sharing a group hug at the top of WrestleMania uh, of the stage. It wasn't pre-planned, according to the Taker. And when it happened organically, you know, there was a genuine tear running down his face. And, um, you know, that made Kane think about, you know, different moments that he should have. And uh, Team Hell No um, definitely, you know, was some great, you know, material where him and Daniel Bryan um, we're also having their own kind of, you know, back and forth and relationships and they went to the therapy sessions. And, um, so they talk a little bit about that and how they were in therapy to, you know, for Kane and he had to talk about his past angles. And then, so that brought out a new tag team with Daniel Bryan, which was very successful and the crowd just loved. So, um, and then from there, it, we got a little more comedy Kane. And Comedy Kane, you know, consisted of quite a bit of things. So Austin brings up the famous video of Kane cutting a promo backstage on The Rock and Hogan as he intimidate or as, as he imitates both of them. It was classic. The crowd reaction and the Kane posing uh, was amazing. Kane says he loved that and the people still bring it up to him all the time. He knows every person has done the Hulk Hogan imitation and Austin mentions uh, he has done it. So Kane says that he was standing next to the rock in Hogan and yet, you know, he hasn't gotten to be the star yet. So we stay um, with the comedy and we focus on from there. We focus on Pete Rose, you know, just kind of going after that, you know, and he had quite a you know bit of a career with Pete chasing down Pete Rose right at WrestleMania, you know, 14. And um, Pete goes out in front of the fans in Boston and the heels on him. And then with the Red Sox, and then uh, it was fantastic, but kind of a, turned Kane face for a few minutes. And Kane uh, brings up that before all this, the big match with Taker, 
he was a, a super nervous to it, but he drills Pete with a power bomb, and Austin, you know, brings up that Kane went from heel to face and then back to heel again all in the same night. Um, Kane says that Pete would have made a great heel manager. Um, they quickly go through the next two manias, and Pete autographed um, a bat for Kane and gave it to him just as a gesture. So that was a, you know, they definitely had some good times on there, and it was a good way to like kind of just end the show a little bit with a little bit of a laugh. And the Pete Rose, um, you know, it was always funny. Pete Rose just kind of came out in a chicken suit one time, and he just always chased Kane around, and Kane just always beat him up. So always found that to be very entertaining. Well, some of the closing thoughts that we get then that, you know, they end on a good fun note. Um, Austin asks Kane how much longer he wants to wrestle. He brings up um, how he won the 24-7 title and he had his dream match of him and Taker against DX and um, he would do, you know, be down for doing that again. Um, He likes popping in there and there and he just doesn't want to say he's completely done. You know, he does enjoy coming in from time to time. Well, then Austin wraps things up and thanks Kane for coming out for the interview and he puts him over and for having a career that most, you know, don't, most don't. And, you know, he wishes him and the fine folks of Tennessee the best and as he's taken his new role of Mayor Kane. So, and that is the end of the Stone Cold Steve Austin podcast. So, some final thoughts on this one. Um, It was a good show. It was good to see Kane talk a little bit about you know how he came about the business most likely these broken skull sessions do some we got some good stories um for the most part uh we did plug the book in the beginning right um and then we did get the other side of the previous undertaker episode but on kane's side of that version so that was just good to hear it from both ends um you know i like these sessions and i enjoy them so that's uh my overall final thoughts. I think it was, was a good one. I, you know, nothing really too shocking in this story, but maybe worth a watch if you want to put it on in the background, that kind of thing. But guys, those are my final thoughts. So let's get to our, your final thoughts. And we're going to get out of here for today. But this has been Steve Austin, the Broken Skull Session. So as always, I want to say thanks for watching. Don't forget to like, share, subscribe. It helps out my channel. And let's burn the house down with K.